Hello, and welcome to Have You Heard, a listening project. On this podcast, we share tips, stories, and practical advice to help people with hearing loss stay connected. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges of virtual learning for kids who have hearing loss. This is a crazy time for all of us, and with so many schools canceling in-person classes, many students are faced with online work, which may be very new to so many of them. Don't forget to stay until the end of the episode where we will share tips for successful virtual learning for kids with hearing loss. There are a lot of great resources out there which can help you and your students, and we want to share them with you. I'm Mary Catherine, and I have spent the majority of my career connected to and working with both deaf and hard of hearing children and adults. I have spent time in the classroom at the beginning of my career as a teacher, and now I spend some of my time interpreting for deaf students who are doing virtual learning in addition to my day job as a hearing health advocate. On today's episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Allie, who has a background in counseling. Well, hey, everybody. Hi, Allie. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. And also joining us this week are special guests, Mickey and Jennifer. Mickey is one of our colleagues here at OEI, and she has some insider knowledge of what it's like for students with hearing loss who have needed to shift to virtual learning. She has a deaf daughter, Gina, who is currently taking online classes for her senior year of college. Jennifer also has a daughter who's a senior who's faced with different challenges this year. She has experienced both remote and now in-person classes, and I can tell you that going back into the classroom has its own unique challenges. So welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. I want you to tell us a little bit about your children. So Mickey... Hi, so nice to be here and thanks for having me. Um, as you mentioned, as a colleague, I am an outreach educator for CapTel Caption Telephone for over six years now. We live in South Florida and I am the mother of two children born with hearing loss, uh, both that have cochlear implants. Um, Gina has um, had an implant since she was a baby, so at 22 years old now. Um, I've been involved with lots of parent support groups, and I personally know the value of learning from others' experiences. That sounds great, Mickey. I can't wait to learn more. All right. And Jennifer, why don't you tell us a little about your daughter? Hello, everybody, and thank you for having me. I have been the manager of the Dallas Hearing Foundation for nine years, and prior to that, I worked in real estate and the legal field. I am married with three children, 23, 21, and 19. And I grew up in Plano and have now made it my home for the last 40 years in Texas. Since you guys are from out of state also. (laughs) My middle child, Dakota, is deaf. So when she was implanted, I became aware of the Dallas Hearing Foundation and started volunteering with them. When the previous administrator decided to move out of state, I was invited to apply and I have been with DHF ever since. Fantastic. Oh, well, it's so great to be here with all of you guys. I know that I'm personally very excited to delve into this topic. I have been an advocate on behalf of the hearing loss industry since 2008, and I do also have a master's degree in counseling psychology, and this year it's become especially challenging for kids and for students who are relying on home learning. It's so vitally important to understand how and why children with hearing loss need specific educational tools and also the coping mechanisms to aid the at-home learning lifestyle. So Mickey and Jennifer, I'm just really excited to hear your perspectives. I'm really, really excited. 
While distance learning is new and it's sometimes challenging in terms of everything that it presents for all school-age children, it can really present unique difficulties for children with hearing loss. Many children with hearing loss have already had to navigate the difficulties of attending school in general and also finding ways to successfully communicate with their teachers and their classmates. Now, they're also being asked to adapt to yet another way of learning and communicating. And I can tell you, I have some firsthand experience with this. Of late, I have done some interpreting in the virtual environment, and it has been just a really crazy animal to manage. What I've noticed in particular is trying to keep children's attention or the students' attention, which is so critical in the classroom, and especially for our students who are accessing information visually. You can only imagine how strange it is to have multiple people talking on the screen at the same time. And there's no eye contact. I mean, really and truly, what we depend on in the classroom to get our kids' attention just isn't really available to us as easily in this environment. So our basic rules of attention getting are just out the window. Further, if students are depending on captions, that adds another layer to it because they may be looking either at another window on their screen or another device. So again, not necessarily looking directly at the teacher or the interpreter or whomever's um, holding class. I say all that to emphasize how working with children or young adults in a virtual educational space does not look like or feel like a traditional classroom. We have to be so cognizant of the needs of the learners who are using visual information to stay engaged and to boot to learn new concepts. I think you're absolutely right, Mary Catherine. Um, I can't agree with you more, actually. Mickey, you have a daughter who's in college. So how has the shift to virtual learning affected her? Well, Gina is now in her senior year of college. Um, Her major is hospitality and resort management. Uh, She attends Florida Gulf Coast University, which is on the west coast of Florida. And we live in the Fort Lauderdale area. Um, So she's lived there for the past three years. Um, All of her classes are now held virtually, and she did move back home from her apartment at her college um, last March to complete her spring semester of her junior year. So she's been home since then. There was a requirement for her to do a second internship. She had the opportunity in her major to complete her first internship on site which she loved. She loved being you know, with people and on person and learning hands-on, working with a mentor. Um, for her second internship, that had to be done online. Um, and so they changed that program so she could do it virtually to accommodate all the students who needed to meet that requirement for the second internship. Uh, many of the instructors were international. And that was very challenging as they all had different accents and even with the support of note takers and captioning had um, was had just really had a lot more challenges for her trying to do it in that environment. Right. Wow. I mean, that would certainly make things even more difficult. Jennifer, I understand that your daughter is not actually attending online classes, but it's actually meeting in person. Yet things are very different for her now, too. So can you tell us how the pandemic has affected her? Sure. My daughter, who is 21, is bilaterally implanted. And actually, her classes have all been in person as of late. So it's a whole different set of challenges. 
Can you just explain what that means bilaterally implanted for people who may not know what that means? Sure. So my daughter was born with something called EVA, which is enlarged vestibular aqueduct syndrome, which is a fluctuating hearing loss. So we knew that it's fluctuating and it's also progressive loss. So we knew she would eventually lose all of her hearing. So she wore hearing aids as long as those benefited her. And then when her hearing bottomed out, we transitioned to cochlear implants. And bilateral means she's implanted in both of her ears. And so the cochlear implant is her sound processor that she wears behind her ear. It's a transmitter sends sound signals to her receiver and stimulator implanted under her skin, which is attached by a magnet, which then stimulates the auditory nerve with electrodes through the cochlea. So she has a mechanical ear for both of her ears, essentially. Okay. And so... How is that? So she's in college now. Talk, tell us a little bit about her college experience now that she's back in the classroom during the pandemic. Yeah, this has been challenging because all the students now have to wear masks. And so in addition to the professor wearing a mask, um, she does have CART, which is captioning. So that does help. However, when there's class discussion, she cannot understand what her peers are saying because of the masks. She's done a few classes online supplementing and there's cart for that as well however she's mentioned a lot of the teachers are playing videos and the videos are not captioned so she's found it challenging and we did send a bunch of clear masks for some of her schoolmates to wear to help with lip reading to kind of get the visual cues as well and you know you mentioned cart and i i people may or may not know what that means but it stands for um, communication access real-time translation I actually had to look that up because I think it used to be a a slightly different acronym, Mm -hmm. gosh, 15, 20 years ago. But anyway, it's real-time captioning that's generally provided in a public space. You might see it at a conference. You might see it at um, a large presentation, um, et cetera. And it's intended to make it accessible for deaf and hard of hearing individuals. CART is provided by a highly trained and certified CART writer or CART um, captioner. Um, And the main advantage to CART in the classroom is that the caption writer actually has the ability to build custom dictionaries so that those specialized, the specialized terminology that comes up or acronyms or proper names can be correctly captioned. And that's a really big deal, especially as you get higher into your education and you're using more specialized terminology. The other advantage with CART is you have the, you can project it not only on a single monitor for the student, but you could also project it on a large screen. So not just that student, but the entire class or the audience gets the benefit of it. And I'm curious, since your daughter's using CART and Mickey's daughter is using some captioning in school, um, how did you first learn about CART, Jennifer? And how did that come to be for your daughter, Dakota, correct? Correct. Uh So actually, I went to court reporting school a long time ago to be a captioner. So I knew about it and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis while I was in court reporting school. So I chose the option of not to continue because I wouldn't have been able to do it very long. So I have a lot of friends that are captioners. So my children go through Plano ISD and they have a great school district and they start CART in high school. So the ninth grade for those students. So you can request it as an accommodation. And Plano School District actually has captioners that are on staff. So they're paid by the school district. And they are there, they're called on-site CART providers, which means they're physically in the room with the student. 
So they basically sit next to the student that is using it. They have uh, either the laptop or iPad that they open up. And then as soon as the professor or teacher starts speaking, then it, the captionings come up in what they call real time. So it's live. So those are the same people that are doing captioning for television shows uh, that you might see that they're doing captioning. So they have a three second delay. So those captioners are like court reporters, but they have to go through additional schooling so that they can have a really clean writing because they are live essentially. And so with college, they do offsite. So a girl that I actually went to court reporting school with happens to have the contract with her college. So sometimes when she does captioning, it's a friend of ours that does her captioning, but she just hands the microphone to her professor. They pin that on their shirt and then she signs in, pulls up her iPad, and then the professor starts speaking and the captioner can hear from wherever she is, usually in her pajamas at home, and then gets <laughs> to caption the class, And which is kind of fun because they said, we love getting to listen to all those college classes. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting a, almost a free education with all of that. So it's, it's, a, it's a great tool for them because the more you see something and hear something, it reinforces it. So it's been really great for her. So Jennifer, I just have to point out, um, I love hearing the dog in the background because I actually have three dogs of my own and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know why my dogs are actually not barking themselves. <laughs> I like hearing the dogs bark <laughs> in the background. But I wanted to say thank you for putting that personal touch on the explanation of what CART is because it's a really, really great tool in some circumstances. What else can we do to make virtual learning more effective for people with hearing loss? Mickey? Well, what we've learned since Gina's classes are online is that she's had to learn to use all of the captioning tools available to her. Um, and she does make a point to communicate with her professors about what her needs are. Um, she's also employed note takers for several of her classes, which is one of her accommodations. So the notes are then provided to her via email by the student taking notes. Um, it is a lot of work for these deaf students to have to basically redo their classes by reading students' notes in addition to their professor's PowerPoint notes and trying to piece together what actually, you know, happened during the class. Um, she does spend a lot of time recreating her own notes after she does attend a class. Um, you know, and as a parent, I just believe that we all need to be aware of all of the options available to support online learning, and then let the students themselves explore options and decide which works best for them for each class. I think just being flexible and open to options is really the key to them finding what's gonna work best for them. Absolutely, Mickey. I think that's a really great point. And it's something that we all should think about. Sometimes those options may be hard to find. Jennifer, what are your thoughts? So in North Texas, we have the Dallas Hearing Foundation where I work, and we have the DHF Teen Squad, which we started for teens with hearing loss. So I've been staying in contact with the students and their parents during this pandemic since we haven't been able to meet in person. So we've talked a lot about different things that have worked and have not worked for those. Um, I know students are relying on virtual slash online learning. And a lot of times during speech on a computer, they lose those visual cues as well as the vocal inflection. And those are cues for them as well. So closed captioning has been a great tool. However, then sometimes like uh, Mary Catherine said, they're, they're not looking where they need to be looking and not paying attention to things they need to be paying attention to. 
And I know I've heard from a lot of parents about learning, or listening, I'm sorry, listening fatigue. Um, that's been a big issue. I know I've heard some suggestions of using an external microphone for the teacher so that the sound's more concentrated, like on a headset, um, reducing background noise, which would include my dogs in the background, um, <laughs> having the teacher or peers be easy to see with their mouths and faces, or have the speaker view. I know you can choose on Zoom the speaker view so that the speaker is larger so that you're paying more attention and able to see things a little bit better. Some are also using FM systems um, that they use when they were in the classroom as well that further amplifies whatever uh, tool they may be using if it's a hearing aid or a cochlear implant. These are all really great suggestions. It sounds like it takes a lot of experimentation to find a, a method that works best for every individual student, which is a lot. Mickey, what other technologies are available to Gina that you're aware of? Uh, well, the technology, of course, that I'm most aware of, in addition to captioning telephones that can be used alongside video conferencing, is Microsoft Teams. And even though I haven't had any personal experience with it, that is the platform that Gina's college has employed for all of her classes so far. Um, it does have a built-in closed caption option that she does select for every lecture or presentation. Um, in addition, her professors post pre-recorded lessons on Canvas, which is her school's platform for posting assignments, grades, and communication with her professors. Uh, she's been very fortunate because all of the pre-recorded lessons have offered captioning as well. So she really has not had to go outside her the system that's provided by her school so far for these online classes. I'm so happy to hear that they have the captioning available. I mean, that's that's huge. And what about your daughter, Jennifer? She mainly relies on CART, um, the captioning, as I mentioned. And sometimes she does use the FM or Roger Pen system. That's the further amplification. And again, for those of you who may not know, the Roger Pen is basically a microphone that provides additional support for, you know, environments that are loud, noisy, or when you're like really far away from the speaker. So it's clear the two of you are advocates for your children. What is the best way to go about advocating for your children in this environment so they get the access that they need? So in an early age, we started teaching Dakota to advocate for herself. The school district was really good about that as well. Um, this has also been something we focus on with the DHF team squad. And can you talk a little bit about what that is? So, well, the Dallas Hearing Foundation, just so everybody knows, we are a nonprofit that is based here in Dallas, and our mission is to provide medical and surgical treatment, hearing technologies, speech and hearing rehabilitation, and educational support to those in financial need. So that can include hearing aids, cochlear implants, audiology services. We usually are filling in the gaps where insurance or Medicare or Medicaid doesn't cover. So we're based in Dallas, but we serve all of Texas and the United States and actually have international patients. So I say everything before COVID because before COVID, we had monthly meetings for adults with hearing loss as well as teens, which I keep referring to the DHF teen squad. We would meet monthly and they would learn to advocate for themselves. They'd have mentors come and talk to them about future careers and then we also taught them about giving back to their community. 
Um, we also wanted them to form some friendships with other teens with hearing loss because some of them are the only deaf student in the entire school. But since we've not been able to meet, the teens are really missing the socialization part of meetings. Um, my daughter usually meets with the school and academic counselors prior to classes so that her professors all understand that she has a hearing loss and what she hears and doesn't hear and what accommodations would work best for her. She sits up front. She has the professor wear the microphone for the FM and then the cart. But she's been real good about um, if she struggles in any way to, to tell the teacher that she's struggling and how they can make it work. My friend that is her captioner sometimes, she had mentioned to me that when she first started with the cart, that she handed the microphone to one of the professors and he didn't want to wear it. He left it on the, the podium and she was like, nope. I oh, can't hear you when it's on the podium. So she spoke up for herself and she said that was really good that she spoke up for herself. So now he knows to put it on his actual shirt instead of just leaving it somewhere. So she's, she's, uh, she's been lucky that most of her professors have been really great, but if she struggles, she's really good about speaking up. And what about you, Mickey? Well, I feel like I can uh, mirror exactly what Jennifer's saying about her daughter. We taught Jean at a very young age um, to advocate. She's very forthright about her needs. Um, and the same thing as Dakota, she would meet with her professors ahead of time, review her accommodations, you know, such as preferential seating, note takers, access to presentation notes, captioning on recorded information. Uh, she still does the same uh, reaching out to them. She's just doing it via Canvas. Um, and she still makes her introduction to them personally via that uh, platform to let them know that she may be requesting additional accommodations if they're not provided along the way. Um, and one of the things is she's learned that even though there is a portal through the school, sometimes the professors prefer to communicate via text or email. So she's learned to each to meet each one with their preferred method of communication. So there's not a lag time of waiting if something needs to be um, provided for her, you know, before the next class, if they're not checking in on the portal, it's, it's new for the professors as well, you know, so they're having to learn, you know, how to communicate more effectively via online. Um, but I think just making them an advocate from a young age is the key to everything. And I think that really is the key. I've talked to a lot of parents who have young children with hearing loss, and they often talk of, you know, impo um, imparting on them this need to learn how to advocate for themselves for a young age. So I'm really glad to hear that y'all have done that as well. So when it comes to the home environment, when your kids are at home in school, and Jennifer, I know your daughter isn't at home. Um, in, she's doing classes in person right now. But when she was at home, and for you, Mickey, what is the best way to make the home environment um, conducive to learning and studying? Well, I know it's just kind of for us a common sense approach with all of us now, or most of us in my family working from home, we've learned to have to block out certain times during certain days where we're in a quiet place. You know, we've got post-its on the door that say, do not disturb. Um, you know, we're at a dining room table and we know no one else is home. Um, so as a family, we've just learned to work around each other's time constraints. Um, Gina does use a Mac laptop and occasionally she will use her Bluetooth headphones if she needs that 
you know, just to kind of get through a certain class or or webinar that she's listening to. Um, and that's worked for her so far. And how about you, Jennifer? Well, I am just very glad that I don't have young children at home that I have to separate for different grade levels and make quiet time. And I'm very thankful for that. So knock on wood. But my daughter usually will go in her room, sit at her desk, close the door, let everybody know she's going uh, online or going to be doing classwork so that she can concentrate on any online learning. So we, she kind of isolates somewhere where she knows it'll be quiet. Well, that sounds pretty good. Uh, it sounds pretty organized, which is what you have to be these days. So switching focus just a bit, how is the pandemic affecting your students or your daughter's social lives? Mickey, how about you guys? This, of course, is huge for any young adult. And it, right. you know, 22 years old, you know, Gina was really feeling that void. Um, she was very engaged with her college social life, you know, had friends, had a job, and she was just so ingrained in that, you know, college social life interaction that she misses it. Um, since moving back home last spring, she has reconnected with some of her high school friends. Um, she's also recently gotten another job here in her chosen field and joined a gym with some friends. So she, we're encouraging her to get out wherever she can, whether it's around school or not. Um, and of course, with social media, that also keeps them connected to friends that are either mm -hmm. still living in the college community um, or with the many who have also moved back home and are just scattered about. Right, right. Jennifer, what about you guys? Well, yeah, it's hard on a 21-year-old to understand why you can't go out and about with friends like you were used to doing before the pandemic started. And I know that hearing loss is isolating. And with the quarantine, it's made it even more isolating. Um, we've tried to stay engaged with our team group because I'm, I'm seeing that across the board, doing interactive activities. We did some bingo on mm -hmm. Zoom. Um, we are actually, we usually host a cooking segment where we have a lady that has hearing loss that's a professor at one of the colleges here locally that teaches them to cook a dish every yeah. year. And so we're just actually sending out sourdough starter kits where they can all do it at home and then we can join and Zoom and do wow. it. So we're just trying to find ways to keep them connected. They need that socialization. They need to be around other teens that are right. like them. Um, I know they're craving it. We have one of the teens that is in the group who is the only person with hearing loss in her school. And she had that group to socialize with and now she doesn't. So she doesn't want to wear her hearing aids or identify as deaf uh, right now because she doesn't want to be different. So. Yeah, that's, that's just so hard. I mean, it's so hard. The psychological impact on students homeschooling due to the pandemic is really something to be considered, if not taken extremely seriously. The lack of active socialization and the focus upon mainly just technology for both learning and interaction has created a severe increase in mental health issues, which can include anything from anxiety, depression, lower self-esteem, just to name a few. So researchers argue that mental health issues have increased due to the pandemic, and students in particular appear to really have a lack of socialized interest comparable to years prior. Additionally, parents who are homeschooling can confirm that self-esteem and confidence have especially dipped, and it's due to the pandemic aspects of homeschooling, as well as the increased social media usage. I knew anecdotally that the switch to online was really stressful. I, too, was taking classes in the spring when the pandemic hit, and when we switched to online, it was really hard. 
But for our students who are deaf and hard of hearing, it is definitely different. I looked to the National Deaf Center for Post-Secondary Outcomes. They have all kinds of great resources around education for deaf and hard of hearing students. And they had a report um, or they had a survey that they did with Vocational Rehab Panel. And what they found in that survey was that isolation and mental health issues ranked highest for the pandemic's impact on deaf youth, followed by uncertainty and inability to plan for the future, lack of technology and online access, and of course, academic setbacks. And academic setbacks are even being seen for our hearing, um, our students who are hearing who aren't having access issues per se. So it, it is a real issue. They went on to say that 74% of deaf college students consider online learning more difficult than traditional learning. And I guess all I can say is it's just another layer of effort and stress in learning environments that are often not friendly to our visual language users and those who are heavily dependent on visual cues and technology to access auditory information, like Jennifer, Jennifer and Mickey's daughters. Right. Despite that, if you have a child with hearing loss, with appropriate accommodations and support, they can have success in a virtual environment. So, as promised, here are some tips to help you and your student make the most of distance learning and come out a success. So again, I'm going to take some cues from the National Deaf Center on Post-Secondary Outcomes, who created a Take Control of Your Online Learning Tip Sheet. A few points that I think apply to students of all ages. First and foremost, make a plan. You need to know what accommodations are available for your online classes, be it captioning, be it cart, be it note takers. Also, making sure that you check in with your disability services coordinator and make sure that you are getting all of the support that is available. Two, it's so important to have a dedicated space for learning and make sure that it has good lighting and in a quiet area. Further, you need to make sure you have a good internet connection and keep all of your technology charged for your classes. Yes, yes. A quiet area is key. I can attest to that myself. Minimize background noise as best you can. Close windows and doors. Move your child's learning station away from the noisy appliances like the dishwasher, the TV, or even the washing machine, things you don't normally think about. And ensure that other people's conversation is kept to a minimum during distance learning times. Third, make sure you're staying in touch with your teachers. Make sure all the materials that they're providing are accessible and ask for extra time or possibly alternative assignments where appropriate. Exactly, Mary Catherine. I would say don't even be afraid to ask for assistance because we all need it, especially during this time. While you can do all you can on your end, minimizing background noise, for example, ensuring that your child's equipment is working properly, your child's teacher can also take simple steps to make distance learning easier for your child. So these can be as easy as making sure that only one person speaks at a time and that they say that. And using technology such as Google Meet that offers real-time captioning and also sending written follow-ups that outline what was discussed and what's expected. And of course, don't underestimate the power of self-care during this time. We all need to be taking extra special care of ourselves. Take some time to exercise, meditate, disconnect from social media, watch a movie, or just get an extra hour of sleep at night. 
the struggle is real with the transition to online classes. You are so right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Other things that may help, don't forget to make their learning experience holistic. Having your kids home with you more often allows you to work on their communication skills as well and also their emotional intelligence. Very important. Keep to the same routines as you would if your child was physically going to school. So get dressed, eat breakfast, etc. This, I would think, is especially important for the younger kids. And again, I can also attest to that. Make the most of assistive technology. If your child's hearing aid or cochlear implant is equipped with Bluetooth technology, use it and investigate all other options. Even if you don't really know what that might be, take the time to investigate it. We've mentioned some of the more common technologies already, but take the time to research. There's so much out there. And I will just add one thing because we were talking a little bit about the Zoom because a lot of classes are offered in Zoom. And one of the things that has recently been updated in Zoom is this ability to pin multiple people. So like, for example, if the teacher is talking and um, maybe there's a, a panel discussion as well, you can actually pin multiple people to the screen now instead of only having one, which does make it a little bit easier. I refer to it a little bit as like, where's Waldo? Like who's talking and how do you find them? Um, So Zoom has improved that feature. I don't know if that's the same with Google Meet, but there are some things that have recently um, been implemented in some of the technologies to make things a little bit easier. So to sum things up, Remote learning for deaf and hard of hearing students is certainly not without challenges, but it can be navigated with the help of teachers, parents, and technology. The most important thing to remember is that advocating for yourself or for your children will help everyone with hearing loss live their best life. I hope that some of the things we've shared today will help. Definitely. And thank you again to Mickey and to Jennifer for sharing your experiences with us. I know that really meant a lot to us. Oh, I was ha- I was happy to be here. Thank you again for the opportunity. And I just, you know, I guess, my final thoughts would just be that as a parent, you know your child better than anyone, and that we can offer to help them navigate the challenges they face, whether it's through vocational rehab services, or as was mentioned, the disabilities coordinator at their school, or even directly with the professors themselves. Um, I know from experience that helping my daughter, you know, with her strong communication skills and the strategies that she can employ, that these definitely have a powerful impact on her self-confidence and her ability to go forward and just be her best self. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to join this. This is great information, and I can't wait to share some of this information as well. Well, for further information on hearing health resources, please visit us online at oeius.org. Again, that's oeius.org and click on contact. And don't forget to join us next month for another informative episode of Have You Heard? A Listening Project. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out. I'm Mary Catherine. And I'm Allie. And we want to thank you for joining us today on the Have You Heard podcast. And remember to stay safe and stay connected.
copyright 2021 by OEI. Guests of the podcast and resources mentioned are for the interest of our audience only. There are no marketing agreements or incentives involved.